Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. All right. So last week, I started a show about emotional health, I guess, for caregivers. And why that is important is because we have a tendency sometimes to struggle with symptoms, and that's a problem. And I want to be able to help you with that. Now, before I get started today, I want to tell you that on May 20th, on Zoom, and you can find it on my website, I'm going to have it on the front page under What's News, I am presenting a class through the Colorado Coalition for Culture Change, and you can get on and attend that class. Now, I'm not going to lie. I think there's a fee for it, but I don't know exactly what the fee is. Uh, But we are celebrating the 20th year of Colorado Culture Change Coalition, and I am on the board of that group. And what we do is we try to work with assisted livings, group homes, independent living, memory units, etc., skilled nursings, and make them the best they can be by helping them with policies and procedures and educational training to help their caregivers be more effective with their communication with residents. So that's what we do. So not only that, but in July, I will be a speaker on Friday, July 29th at the Pioneer Network convention that is going to be in Denver this year. It's an international convention and it's in Denver and I am one of the speakers. And so if you would like to have a day when you are uh, a part of something big where you can learn about, you know, various dementias and Alzheimer's and so on and so forth, uh, this is a a three-day conference uh, the Pioneer Network is putting on. Again, this is information that I will post on my website today, and if you can fly in, if you can be here, it's a fantastic conference. And I'm super excited because Naomi File is going to be at this conference, and she's the validation theory guru who's 90 years old, and I just love her. I followed her forever and used her music therapy theory uh, with my uh, clients and uh, people with various dementias for years and years and years. Unfortunately, I'm teaching a class the same time she is. I'm so distressed about that. (laughs) So... You know, the people that can't get into hers will come to mine is, I think, what's going to happen. Oh, I'm so upset about that. I really wanted to go and hear her in person. So I am working today, this morning, I was trying to work with the people from the conference to see if I can get Naomi's phone number or email and ask her if she'll be a guest on my show. And 
if you will all say a little prayer and cross your fingers, I would be grateful because that would be like a pinnacle for me to have Naomi file on my show. I would be just crazy happy about that. So having said that, uh, I wanted to continue to talk about some of the things that we struggle with and things that eat away at our emotions when we're trying to help somebody. So one of the things that comes to mind, and I'm going to be talking about in my UCH class uh, soon, is people that get really upset when somebody with dementia insults you. No matter how kind, how sweet you're trying to be, caring, sensitive, compassionate, whatever it is, they say things that are not nice. You're cruel to me. You're not feeding me. I want to go home. You stole my items. I don't like you. I know that hurts. When you're doing everything you can to help and they say something that hurts your feelings, makes you angry. You know, it just, it, if, if somebody that you know said something like that to you in a normal situation, there are people that will respond and be confrontational But I would say 90% of people are not confrontational when somebody of sound mind says something like that to you. But when somebody who's not of sound mind, you take the criticism personally. You can get into a big old argument about it. You can, you know, kind of reach a point where you have a catastrophic reaction. You might cry. They might cry. They might throw things at you. Without a doubt, you walk away feeling exhausted, unappreciated, and upset. What I can tell you is that you have to think about What exactly is happening? Your person very rarely looks like they're sick. So it's hard for us to think of them as being sick. We don't, we don't, we don't grasp right from the beginning that they have an injury to their brain. That they don't know that they lost their own possessions that they are angry because they've lost their independence. We can't see that they feel lost. That they don't really want to be cared for 24-7. And when they say things to you like, I hate you, maybe what they mean is I hate life. When they say you didn't feed them, they just don't remember eating. 
If they think you've been mean to them, maybe they think life is being mean to them. They can't put it all in a right chronological order so it comes out how it comes out with no filter. That's a frontal lobe issue. They don't always understand and they definitely have trouble accepting that their impairment is getting worse by day and that they are the ones that are not able to handle their finances anymore. And that is horrible for people that always were the, was the person that was dealing with the finances. They always thought they had a good relationship with you and now they're following you around and giving you the attention that you wanted when they were well and you're getting it when they're not well and it drives you nuts. They know that their things are gone. They don't know how they lost them. You're the only one there. You had to have taken them. We interpret that as they really honestly think that we took something where they, when they're just saying that they can't find something, but the only way that it comes out to you is you took it. If you can find ways to take that conversation and, and flip it over to a compassionate side, when they say they want to go home and we tell them that they are home, I want you to think about the fact that what they mean is they want to go back to a time when they had a purpose, when they weren't annoying to people, when they were able to see life with reality. They weren't. They want. They want to go back to a place where they're not afraid of everything and everyone and the world spinning out of control. They don't. When when they say they want to go home, they want that child feeling of being wrapped in your mom's hug. They want that attaboy from dad. They want to. Go back to a time when you played tags with friends and life was easy. Baseball game and hot dogs, butterflies and kittens, right? That's what they want. That's what they want when they want to go home. They want it to go back to an easier place in life that they can handle and they can deal with it. When somebody says, I want to die. Or I don't want to die. But they're talking about dying, period. Maybe what they're talking about is that they're tired of feeling confused. They realize that they're sick, but they can't tell you how sick they are. 
they feel sick. They feel like their mind is betraying them, but they're not in any pain. If they're in pain, it's emotional pain. It's not physical pain. So they're trying to work through these things. And they feel like maybe they are dying. Their brain is not working right. You're angry with them because they've said the same thing over and over. They're following you around and you don't like it, like we talked about in last week's show. They insulted you and they didn't mean to, but now you're mad at them and they're struggling with it. If you try to walk in their shoes for just a few minutes, you can try somehow to grasp the depth of the confusion. When they're asking about money, when they're asking about being able to write checks or pay bills or just have money in their wallet. And because you can't trust them with, you know, not buying things over and over or spending money that they shouldn't or whatever it is, we've taken that wallet away. For a guy, typically it would be in his back pocket. For a woman, it would be in their, in their purse. Oftentimes. And they're, they used to, their entire life, they carried a wallet with some money in it, with their credit card, with their driver's license. And now, it's not there. It should be. Women, put yourself in this position. Go out of the house without your purse and your phone. And how weird that feels. How foreign that feels. So for men who typically walk around with a wallet, it's not surprising that they are angry because they can't find it. You guys are getting ready to go out of the house for some reason to the store or to the doctor or whatever. And they don't have that wallet in their back pocket. It must be missing. What happened to it? They don't know. They don't understand. They're looking for it. You must have taken it. Does that put any perspective on it for you? Think about it that way, and it's not so hard to comprehend. When they're looking for people and nobody's around, They're asking for somebody who's passed away or whatever. It's because they see people standing around them. They see people on the TV. They see people walking down the street. They see people coming to the door. But it's not their people. They're unfamiliar faces. This isn't their their family. These, these, these faces are not familiar. They don't look like somebody I know. This isn't making any sense to me. So who are these people? Where's my mom? Where's my dad? 
Where's my husband? Where's my wife? Where are people? So when you argue with them or you contradict their thought process, your mom and dad are dead. They've been dead for 60 years. When you're angry with them for following you around, to me, it's almost like a puppy or a kitten. We wouldn't get upset if they were following us around. We like that. We want them to follow us around. It makes us feel good. But when someone is scared, when they are fearful, they don't mean to say things to you that are complaining or are insults. What they're trying to express their feelings and it's coming out wrong. You stole my purse means I can't find my purse. Why did somebody put it away? Probably because whoever is caring for me just wanted to make sure that I didn't have it in a place where a caregiver we don't know is coming into the house and could take some money out of it or that I keep pulling my credit card out and buying things on QVC on television and they're trying to keep me from spending all that money. So when that gets put away in a safe place or you take the the money out of the purse or you take the credit cards out, they don't understand. So it's missing. So you stole it. This isn't hard to understand. It is not really that hard to understand. But when we hear those complaints over and over, we get angry. We get irritated. And that person will forget what they said to you, but when you're angry with them, they will hold on to that for a long time. And they lose the ability to be tactful. You know, they might just say they don't like somebody. They don't like you. It's upsetting. But they don't know how to have that filter on their mouth and be tactful anymore. They're just being honest. They're not purposely being unkind. They're just being honest. And what if you can cope with them, but they say them in public places about other people? That's rough. Sometimes you can be out in public and they will make an inappropriate or insulting remark to somebody. (laughs) And it can be just, you know, pure directness um, to saying, hey, you've got a hole in your sock or a hole in your pants or something like that um, to get out of my house. What is this dish you serving me? You're trying to poison me. When they say things that upset us like telling friends, family, strangers that you keep them locked in their room. That you don't feed them. Sometimes people retain their social skills. 
Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they make accusations and people listening to them misjudge the situation and believe them. I haven't had a shower in three weeks. Nobody's showering me. Nobody cleans my room. Those kinds of things. Telling you you look old or you're stupid. These kinds of things happen all the time. They're unable to follow the good manners that maybe they used to have. But while you're learning how to cope with this, try to help other people cope with it. Let them know that these behaviors are the result of a disease and don't take everything so literally. They're not being deliberately mean. It's it's sad and we're sorry that they said something to you. Give them a brief explanation about that person's illness. And when you do, you'll find a lot of people will suddenly feel very compassionate about it and willing to work with you about it and not getting upset about it. That's the best we can hope for. And if you're in a public place and they do something like that, just try to remove them as gently as you can. Don't make a big deal out about about it. It'll be embarrassing for them. You don't totally owe people explanations when you're out in public. But if you can do it quietly and try to just create some understanding, I think that would help. We're going to take a short break, listen to a commercial, and I will be right back. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so we're talking about managing our emotions when we're dealing with tough things that can be emotional. And when we went to break, I was talking about your person saying something about you, like you're being mean to them, you're locking them in the house, you're not feeding them, you're not showering them, you're 
you're you're you know making their life miserable. Try not to engage them in a fight. Don't deny it. Don't turn this into an argument. You're never going to win. If there are people around that you know, make a note to self to talk to them about it later and try to work through it as best you possibly can. Okay? But engaging them in an argument of I didn't do that or that's not what I'm doing is not the way to do it. You can smile when they're slightly distracted and say, "Ah, shake your head, whatever. Um, But don't engage them. Because if they feel like you're being insensitive to them, it's just going to explode. It's going to become catastrophic. They're going to feel like you're gossiping about them, that you're being mean about them. And you want to try to make sure that doesn't happen. So another thing that happens, and this came to mind with a lady trying to remember her name. But anyway, she was in Fort Collins, Colorado, made national news where some police officers were called by people at a Walmart up in Fort Collins, that this woman had picked up a flower from the garden area, a single flower that she you would ordinarily plant in your yard, and a six-pack of Pepsi. And she didn't have her wallet. So she, she wasn't even thinking about that. She started to walk out of the store. Somebody stopped her and told her she had to pay for the items. And she was confused. And when they made a big deal about it, she just put down the items and she left. Well, that person at Walmart didn't let it go. They called the police. Now, this I got to tell you, this makes me mad as hell because... She gave the items back. You could tell she was confused. Just watching the video of all this was ridiculous. I mean, I just, it boggles the mind, right? She goes down the street. A couple of police officers pull her over. They start asking her to stop. She starts saying, I just want to go home. An officer throws her to the ground, breaks her shoulder, and the nightmare ensues. People with Alzheimer's often will go in stores and pick up things and not pay for them. Or... They could say that the sales clerk stole their money. Um, They come up with all kinds of things, right? I already paid for it. They thought they paid for it, but they didn't pay for it. Um, They don't even realize they're in a store. Sometimes it's good to give them a shopping cart to push 
So their hands are busy and they have to push the cart and it keeps them from grabbing things and putting them in their pockets. When you get in the checkout line, check their pockets to make sure they didn't put anything in there. If you want to be proactive, make sure they don't have anything with pockets. You could take a little card with you that says the person with me has memory issues. Please be kind, speak softly to them, and ask yes or no questions. You could get a letter from the doctor to put in their pocket or you keep with you in your belongings that says the person has some type of dementia and forgets that he has put things in their pockets. If they take something from the store, you can show them the letter. You know, there are ways around this without throwing someone to the ground. Or calling the police when they left the store, when they left the items behind. Get a clue, people. Oh my gosh, this just irritates me. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. My sister Sandy used to take my mom shopping. And my mom would put things in the cart and my sister would have to put them back on the shelves. And finally, she just gave my mom a cart and my mom would put things in the cart and then they would abandon the cart and gently tell somebody at the checkout that they had left a cart with things that my mom had gathered. Um, and could somebody put those items away? And she would apologize profusely and have a couple laughs about it later. And they got to know my mom and my sister taking her in the store. So it didn't become such a, a big deal. But this happens all the time. If you see that somebody looks confused, take a minute and think for a second, something could be wrong here. I mean, most of the time the person looks okay, so we can't even tell. But by the time a person gets to the point where they're taking things off the shelves and putting them in their pockets and things like that and trying to walk out, have a conversation with them for God's sakes. You'll figure out really quickly that they don't know what they just did, that they're not able to converse with you. What they're talking about won't make sense. These kind of things happen all the time. That situation just was so bad. It was just, oh my God, so bad. Just crazy. All right, what else? So phone calls. Sometimes they can talk on the phone. Sometimes they can't. They don't remember to write down messages. They confuse themselves with whoever they're talking to. Um, that doesn't make you feel very good when they don't know it's you they're talking to. You could tell them, if, if possible, to just let the phone ring and let people leave a message and then they can call that person back and have a conversation with them.
if they don't answer the phone and you let it just ring and go to messages, a lot of times you learn things like um, the doctor's office calling saying, hey, um, your wife's called five times to cancel an appointment or find out when an appointment is happening or something like that. A lot of times you can put phones on call forward so you can put in your phone number, your like your cell phone number, so when it rings it goes straight to your phone number instead of going to them and that can alleviate some of those problems. Caller ID helps a lot because it tells them who's calling. Those kind of things can help. These are things that just irritate families to no end when messages are not kept, when someone's, they answer the phone and they say, can you leave a message for so-and-so spouse person? And they never get the message. And as hard as you try, they keep picking up the phone. So using that call forwarding can help a lot. It can help a lot. Other things that happen is they can be incredibly demanding. They can appear like they are very narcissistic, self-centered. And when they don't look like they're impaired, that can be incredibly irritating. If that happens... Just step back and think to yourself, are they deliberately doing this or is it a symptom? If that person was sort of an ass to begin with and was very manipulative and playing on people's emotions and things like that, maybe they're the same way with Alzheimer's. But in general, a person with Alzheimer's cannot be manipulative because if they're manipulative, they have to be able to make a plan. And we know that their ability to sequence things gets lost in the beginning of the disease. So a person with Alzheimer's really can't do that. They, they lose that ability to learn something new. They lose that ability to troubleshoot or put a plan together. So maybe it's just some emotionally unstable situation they've been in, you know, for a long, long time. But most likely it is not deliberate and they're not doing something just to irritate you or to manipulate you in some way. I think a lot of times that kind of behavior really shows when somebody is lonely, uh, when they are feeling lost, when they are feeling abandoned and they think you've deserted them. If you look at it that way, it can help you to understand that they're not really trying to be demanding. They just need you to be there 
to help them feel safe. So when you respond like you think they're selfish or manipulating you, generally that can become some kind of a catastrophic situation because they don't have any control over their life. They don't have any control over their circumstances. And you do. You're not spoiling the person if you meet their demands or you're trying to teach them, you know, to be part of the strategy and to to work with you. If you can get them to work with you on any, any plan, anything you're trying to teach them, if you scold them, for not learning what you need them to learn, it's going to turn into a very difficult struggle. They're not able to work with you and learn something new, like trying to teach them a new phone. And you think, oh, they should be able to do that. This person was an engineer, but they really can't. They really can't do those things. And they get overwhelmed by whatever it is you're trying to teach them. And it becomes impossible for them to learn the simplest thing you're trying to teach them. So sometimes you just have to say, let me, let me see how I can help you with this. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Does that work for you? Well, good. Let's add this, 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 and this, and you just do it. Save yourself three hours of difficulties by just helping them try to figure it out. If they're a person that always wants a drink, They want more than one drink. I had a a client recently that was asking me about something like this, and an idea came to me. And maybe you could say, when we get done with this task, I'll set a timer, and when the timer is off, you can have that drink, or you can have that cigarette, or you can do whatever you need to do. We'll... We'll set some timers and some goals for you to stay in the game and stay working with me and and not get too distracted. And if you can't do that, maybe have somebody else step in and help you. Don't leave yourself feeling exhausted or trapped in the situation, angry and frustrated because you can't teach them something you think they should know. Try to figure it out. They're not trying to be stubborn. They're not trying to be uncooperative. They can't learn something new. This is caused by the illness. They could be the smartest person on the planet. But the illness is is making them not understand what they need to do. And like trying to tell somebody that they need to take a bath or a shower, they get 
really insulted by that and say, I already took one, and you know that they didn't. It isn't that they maybe actually thought they already took one. They're just mad that you're asking them to take a bath or a shower. It's insulting. You know, sometimes just um, saying they hate something, they hate taking a bath, they hate the food, really means I'm miserable. I'm tired of this confusion. I'm tired of what's going on. They're not trying to be stubborn. They're not trying to be uncooperative. They just don't know how to do it anymore. They just don't know. So it really isn't about being negative and being nasty. It's about not being able to put scenarios together, not being able to sequence, not being able to learn new things. And not only the new things, but the old things are not working now either. Right? Those kind of things happen all the time. Not being able to work the plumbing, to turn on the bathroom faucet, and then they say, well, that's just not working. And you say, well, no, it works just fine when I do it. That's confrontational. That's judgmental. So working through how to respond to somebody, act and don't react. Try to remember that. That's a huge clue. Act and don't react. These are all things that you can do to try to keep that emotional breakdown at bay. Put yourself in their situation. Try to understand the emotions of what they are feeling when they make comments to you that feel hurtful and and obstinate and difficult. The more you can do that, my friends, the better off you're going to be. I know it's not easy. That's why I'm doing a whole class on it for my UCH class. I know it's not easy, but dig deep. Try to understand the situation. Read books. Learn more about the disease itself. It will benefit you greatly. It really, really will. It will help you to understand and define that kindness and that compassion that you had before. And when you learn more about it, you will be so much better in communicating with your person. Well, I think that's enough for this week. I hope this has been helpful Managing your own emotions will be the one thing you have some control over. And if you can do that, you will be better with your person. Good luck to all of you out there in my caregiver nation. I love you. I think of you often and I pray for you. And I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, 
or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.